I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Track by Track, a recurring feature here on Consequence of Sound, where we explore an album one song at a time with the artist. Discussing the song's origins, tales from the studio, every story that brought this music to life. I'm Tyler Clark of Consequence of Sound, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Zach and Elvis of Fiddler about their new record, Almost Free. If you love Track by Track, our album reviews, or any features here on COS, please consider rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts or rating and reviewing specific episodes on Podchaser. Your feedback helps us grow and lets us know what you love about them, how you think they could improve, or even how you listen to them. Reach out to us by leaving a review or hitting us up on the Consequence Podcast Network Facebook page. We're an independent music outlet, and it's you fine folks that make it possible for us to keep exploring music in new and exciting ways. So connecting with you about how you experience our content is majorly important to us. Thanks so much for tuning in, and now let's uncover all the stories behind Almost Free with members of Fiddler. Welcome to another edition of Track by Track here on Consequence of Sound. I am senior writer Tyler Clark, and I'm joined today by two members of the band Fiddler. We've got Elvis and Zach with us here on the podcast. Fellas, how you doing this morning? Living the dream. That's what I like to hear. So we're here to- well. No. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So we're here to talk about your new record, Almost Free, which I've been listening to a lot over the last couple of weeks. It's been a uh, sort of mainstay of my headphones, so pretty pumped to uh, talk about it with you guys today. So um, Great. Yeah, so I saw that, um, you know, I've been, been sort of following, you know, you guys as you've, you've been on the road lately, and, you know, you've done a, a couple other interviews here and there as we're sort of gearing up for the release of this one. And I saw somewhere that, that you all said that this was maybe the most collaborative record that you've ever worked on together. And I'm just wondering if you could... Talk a little bit what, about what that's been like, especially like at this point in your careers to be sort of, you know, coming together and, and working, you know, as a team like that. I, I think it's, it's great. I mean, like, you know, the, the older a band gets or, you know, the more you get you spent together, sometimes that like, you know, drives us crazy. You know, I just feel like there's like two different approaches. It's just like we've always been able to have that kind of collaboration and just like not losing focus on that and like having a producer like Ricky Reed was like important for us to be able to collaborate um, just having like that third ear or whatever so yeah I think it's yeah. pretty rare rare nowadays that it's as collaborative as it's been you know yeah I think like also when um, in the past generally it would be like the way that we would that we would record songs would be either Zach brings in 
sort of an almost finished demo or like I bring in kind of an almost finished demo mm. and then we sort of go from there and there's not much like we're not really we weren't really adding as much to each other's songs and uh, on this record Ricky kind of helped bridge that gap Ricky Reed mm-hmm. and uh, he he sort of helped with you know bringing in ideas and then really kind of working on them all together and being able to have everyone sort of add their input, which was, which was definitely a, a really cool experience. Yeah. And I was going to ask um, about, about Ricky Reed. I was, uh, you know, in addition to what you've already sort of mentioned, what do you think that he brought to the material and why was he sort of right for this record at this time in your, in your career? Well, um, I, I think it's so like simple. Like it is, I was thinking about this the other day. It's just even like our new song, can't you see, where it's like literally like would have never thought for me and Elvis to sing on the same song. Like I never would have thought to do that, Mm. but it's something so simple and so like easy that it just needed somebody to tell us, why don't you guys do that? And we're just like, Whoa, why haven't we done that? You know what I mean? Like, so I I think it's just like trying different shit that we're not used to trying, I guess, Mm. you know? Yeah. And even, even like, um, with Can't You See in particular, too, that was sort of also another thing that he, you know, added to that, um, to even just picking that song. Like like him, us, like, doing that song was, was mainly, you know, Ricky kind of, he, he heard it when we, we basically, we, like, we all got our demos together and then played them, you know, in the studio, like, played them over the speakers and stuff. And, and he, and that was one, I had this demo and I basically just didn't, it was the last thing I put on the, you know, Dropbox. I was like, I don't know about this, like, not really, not really a Fiddler thing, you yeah. know? And just kind of like, I was just thinking like, I don't know if this is going to really work. And then when he heard it, he, he really kind of pushed us to, to try to do something with that. Um, which was, which was really, it was cool to have somebody to go like, no, like you guys can try, you know, try this and, and then he kind of like helped us open it up and and add a bunch of shit to it and and just yeah and then like Zach was saying add have Zach sing on it also and have us just singing on a track together so for me that was a really cool thing that he added which was that I felt like I didn't have to write in a certain way for this record like in a, a way that you know maybe fans expect when it comes to a Fiddler record or something and he helped kind of open that up and sort of break down that that wall a little bit absolutely and it definitely like i was struck as i was listening to the record that that yeah you guys do feel like you are exploring some sort of different territory from maybe some of your some of your past work you're sort of uh you know going into a little bit of uncharted space for you guys and i thought that was really one of the exciting parts of this record especially so we can start with the uh with the start i guess we'll uh just hop right in here to track number one, Get Off My Rock. The record kind of opens uh, with a little bit of a with a little bit of a warning kind of talk a little bit about how this song uh, came about and what the story is with it. It's about Hawaii. <laughs> mm. So I, I grew up in Hawaii and uh, 
it's it's about like it originally started as like a song about uh, Los Angeles, mm. and it was supposed to be "Get Off My Block," and like it was the neighborhood that I moved into. There was just like a lot of backlash for people moving into it, you know, gentrification and everything like that. And um, when I went back to Hawaii, I saw it like at a whole different scale. Like I haven't gone back to Hawaii in three years and I went back and I just saw like my neighborhood just totally change. And um, yeah, it was just like, it was basically, I think one of the first ideas written for this record. Yeah, it's just, you know, made that, that, that song was like, an experiment that was like basically how do you get away with doing a song like that without any like you know punk drums or whatever like that it was just more of a chill like kind of more like a beastie boys vibe than anything and just used a bunch of drum machines and stuff like that like instead of you know a bunch of guitar pedals and guitars and Mm. distortion and stuff like that so it it was a weird experiment that just kind of took a life of its own, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, actually, that was, I had in my notes here, it did, it felt to me like it was like a, if the Beastie Boys like wrote a blues song, that that, that, that vibe right. to it. What, um, so I guess, how do you, how do you think the experiment went? Do you, do you feel, do you feel like this is a, a territory that you'd, that you'd keep exploring? I think so. I yeah, know. yeah. I mean, we've also, you know, covered Beastie Boys songs and I know, I'm pretty sure we all grew up listening to the Beastie Boys, so it's kind of, you know, not, it's not really too far out of, our wheelhouse as it might seem i guess right there's a kinship there yeah <laughs> yeah um, totally yeah i mean i feel like they're also like a band like speak speaking of this you know in, in terms of its uh y- you know commentary on gentrification and all that like they were definitely like a band that was very rooted in a in a place and like you know was able to sort of speak authentically about those places and and i thought that this was a a really uh, interesting example of that. And I was wondering, because I, I did assume initially that this was uh, about Los Angeles. And I was just wondering how, for for you all, like how the city has changed over the last you know few years since you've been a band, maybe, or how your sort of relationship um, to Los Angeles has changed. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy what's happened in the last like five years or whatever with, with L.A., but I think it's happening everywhere. You know, mm. yeah. I mean, with, with me, it's it's like I love LA so much, and then like all of a sudden, you know, the reason why I moved to LA because it was cheaper than most cities, you know, and now it's like become one of the most expensive cities, and it's hard to get around, traffic, all that kind of crap, you know. I mean, honestly, I still love it. Can't see myself anywhere else. I think I've been here for like twelve years now, too. So. I think like this yeah, is I have to like, finally like admit like okay this is my home. <laughs> yeah. And uh and I was and um uh, me and my brother Max who plays drums in Fiddler. We were born and raised here too. So um so yeah it's you know we we grew up kind of in the music world cuz our our dad plays music as well. So sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely changed a lot. I mean especially just yeah, it's just it's just hard to find a place to live which is a bummer because a lot of you know a lot of people just are getting kind of priced out of LA and uh you know it's funny we just had this prop that was supposed to to help expand rent control and for some reason it didn't pass and I don't know why I don't know if people thought that it was going to you know take away rent control or something it's really strange that it that it didn't pass because like I mean rent is out of control it's totally out of control so 
there's, I mean, I luckily just live in a rent controlled apartment and uh, it's kind of like if you're lucky, you can find a place like that. But if not, those places are kind of, they're running out. And there's not many left, so. Yeah, and so often, like, the people who, who do get priced out are the people who made the place what it was to begin with, too. So that's, it's sort of doubly uh, yeah. destructive. So no, absolutely. I mean, yeah. yeah. So on to the second track, uh, Can't You See? Meditate, you can get rich quick. Don't talk just like my shit. On the streets, yeah, I feel so chic. Sell the jeans that I bought last week, last week. Last week, that was so last week Now I need a new thing, new thing, new thing Can I get your name? It's also really taken on this one by the I thought the guitar on this was just so uh, great It was like that capital capital R like rock <laughs> guitar That I, I just can't get out of my head I'm just wondering if you, like who are your And as, maybe as sort of cheesy as this is to say like who are your personal like guitar heroes or influences like who who are people that you look to and go like this is something that i you know has made me what i am or like made me what i want to be i mean i would say for you know like some of the, some of the obvious ones you know are mm-hmm. are some of the best i mean you know Jimi hendrix and tony iomi keith richards just just players that are kind of economical you know like sure. they they can play only a few notes and and sort of make something really you know something really special out of that i guess yeah uh who else i mean uh, yeah like Hu- um hubert sumlin who plays with um played with Howlin' wolf i think i gotta just back up what you said about the like uh you know a few notes but make it sound good you know, like, I mean, when we were starting too, there was a whole, when Fiddler was starting, there was a whole garage rock revival happening in Los Angeles. And we all followed those bands, like, you know, VOCs, Black Lips, and mm-hmm. uh, Ty Seagal and stuff like that. Like, we all really, like, followed those those kind of bands. So, but yeah, like, the classic guitar dudes, I mean, just can't go wrong with, like, the dudes from the beginning, you know? Yeah classic for a reason it's right? like one of yeah. those things where you could like literally listen to over and over and over again with finding new things yeah, yeah. i mean the, i mean the list is like the list is super long for me i mean i could go on forever i mean <laughs> east bay ray from the dead Kennedys, yeah. he's another big one and like mark rabot who's a guy who plays with um uh tom Waits, tom Waits. a lot or like, like played on most of those records yeah but eddie hazel dude from funkadelic like i i, I was actually thinking about this recently because i was thinking of the song on this record and kind of, and it's funny, Eddie Hazel is the, you know, the guitar player from Funkadelic from all the, he played on, you know, most of the records back in the day, but I never knew who the guitar player was. And, but I realized that that was such an influence on a lot of my, a lot of the stuff that I write and particularly on this record. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, uh, again, like this is, I think an early sort of standout on the record. And, uh, one thing that, again, I was also taken with that you brought up already was the, the fact that both of you, uh, both of you take a turn on, uh, vocals on this one. So I'm just wondering, you know, you kind of mentioned it already, uh, that, that Ricky Reed was sort of instrumental in bringing this about. I just wonder what that sort of moment was like when you sort of, when you heard this for the first time or, or performed it for the first time and went like, Oh, that is actually, this does totally work. And like, also, like, what do you think, like, how your voices sort of, like, complement and contrast with each other, I guess, too? He, I mean, basically, we, you know, the original, like, demo thing was, was basically, like, something I had just made in my bedroom, and it was, like, you know, a, a loop of a drum beat with, you know, the guitar riff, 
which it, which is it's kind of cool that we actually we actually kept all the original guitars on it which is pretty mm-hmm. cool like that was a cool thing that ricky kind of pushed us to do as well um but basically like we just kept playing the demo over and over in his studio and we were like all it had was the verse it had like the verses basically mm-hmm. but it didn't have a chorus and then we all kept listening to it and we just liked the vibe of it a lot but it needed some other part and then Ricky kind of thought of this melody, sort of the melody that you hear in the chorus. He kind of like had the melody and then we all just started like thinking about lyrics that would work with, with, with the lyrics that were already there and stuff. And then, and I think, yeah, I think once, once Ricky kind of like brought that melody and then we started adding words to it, it's, it's like, it just sort of happened really naturally, you know? And, and then Zach just laid down the, the chorus in Ricky's studio and then we kind of had the, then we just had the, you know, the initial kind of full demo of it. And we were all just really excited about it. Like it was one of those ones you just keep listening to over and over and you don't really get sick of it, you know? Yeah. It's also, uh, we, we, we both sang differently on it. I, I realized this the other day where it was like, like we're both singing different than we usually do. Like, right. I've, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Like Elvis is, super melodic in the verses and then the or, and the choruses are more like low you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's it's a it's a weird contrast of difference where it's like it's a weird thing that i when once i started listening to it i was like yeah we've never sung like that before so that was kind of a exciting but it was like you know uncomfortable at first but then it kind of got comfortable um and playing the song live is just so fun <laughs> It's so like yeah. different from our stuff that it's just so so fun to do, you know. That's I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's that... nice to uh, break it up like that. Yeah, I was just saying, yeah, it's nice to kind of have a have more of a groovy. It's more of a groove, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I like what what Ricky did and what you know what what the mixer did. M- Manny Mariquin mixed the record, and he's yeah, he killed uh, it. An amazing mixer. Yeah, and um, he just the way that they kind of changed the way that they have different there's different vocal sounds for both of our vocals and they're kind of like it really works having that with like sort of two different characters you know yeah like it definitely it gives it a variety but it but it works together also yeah so on to track number three which is uh by myself and ask who the fuck am i i didn't know it felt good to cry Again, sort of very appealing, engaging, uh, very uh, approachable. I guess maybe I don't know. Um, it does deal with it deals with some sort of you know heavy uh, content lyrically, but I feel like it, it does so with uh, your sort of trademark sense of humor. I'm just wondering, like for for you, Zach, and for I mean for for Elvis as well. Like, what do you feel is sort of the I don't know. I guess like the therapeutic value of music and of and of songwriting like what do you what do you get out of of talking about topics like the ones on by myself in song i think for me it's just trying to crack myself up (laughs) (laughs) i honestly it's there's a lot of therapy and you know 
sometimes you take he- something heavy and make it sound goofy and you kind of take a look at yourself and be like, oh man, like, am I just complaining about something? You know, <laughs> it's probably not a great way to deal with my emotions, but <laughs> it's a way. Sure. Yeah. And I thought that that, that, that was, it was also really interesting on that one, just the dynamic of it, just sort of the, you know, sort of it, it starts sort of, sort of quiet and then like builds into this like big sort of all encompassing, like, you know, stomp along song. It feels, it's very, uh, I guess the humor in it, I feel is very like welcoming. It's very, um, it sort of invites people to come in and, and sort of, you know, commiserate with you and with sort of right. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And, and I think, I think we've, we've always been into taking sort of dark subject matter and making it, making the, the, the music happy and, I just always like that sort of juxtaposition. It's a musical speedball. So that takes us to uh, number four on the record. It's Flake. The thing I was wondering the whole time I was listening to this one was, uh, was this inspired by a particular person or is it just a, is it more of a general sentiment? Yeah. I mean, I think it, 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 it definitely stemmed from an experience with somebody in my life, but it, it became a little more general, I think, mm. especially about, you know, having friends in LA and, you know, people that are flaky and hard to make solid plans with. And it, it's become a lot easier I think to, to kind of blow people off, you know, nowadays with, with phones and, you know, you can kind of text, like hide behind the texting and, and, and yeah, it was, it was honest. It was kind of just an honest reaction to that. Just kind of being, you know, sort of the same thing Zach was talking about with, with by myself, it becomes, you know, therapy a little bit, you know, you have an experience and then instead of, you know, drinking a shit ton, I'd, you know, go to the studio and, and make something out of out of that experience so that's that's kind of where that came from now here's the real question who is the uh who is the flakiest member of your band <laughs> um, um, max i don't i don't know if flaky uh, is the right word for max is maybe yeah. lazy um, <laughs> honestly honestly like every, honestly it's like everybody i feel like all of us can be flakes like that that's yeah. that's the thing too it's like it's like i feel like i can be a flake so i know that i know that you know writing this song, it became also about me looking at, okay, how can I be better with this too? You know, yeah. like, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of the songs that I write will start about somebody, but then kind of become, you know, a little bit of a self-reflection too, because I feel like all the, you know, it's nobody's perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I feel like everybody has those qualities. So yeah. I think that, yeah, I think it's definitely, something that everybody has a little bit of because you also got to take care of yourself, you know, and that's kind of number one. And and I think that can also come off as flaky to, to people who don't maybe understand that, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that brings us to a track that was one of the advanced tracks from the record, uh, alcohol, which, uh, was, was, you know, very well, (laughs) well received. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's been other Mentally days. Mentally at bath. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> one that uh you know in reading the reviews of your recent live shows like that's one that everybody brings up people uh audiences seem to love it certainly the people writing about it uh seem to love this one that uh they you know keep sort of identifying it as kind of a bridge from from your older stuff to the newer stuff um and i'm just wondering i mean for this one in particular and i guess all this new material in general like what is it like to incorporate new material into a set that oftentimes is probably filled with a lot of songs that people know by heart like what what kind of nerves are involved in sort of showing off this music to a crowd for the first time i well that I one mean, yeah that one kind of felt pretty natural to us yeah yeah I would yeah say. that one was definitely that one was kind of like you it's sort of like th- there wasn't much worry about how that was going to be received because it's up tempo and because it's kind of has a similar vibe like can't can't you see when we started we started playing that before it came out and that one was a little that was just a little tougher just because you know i think some of the audience members didn't know what how, what to make of it you know at first but it but you could tell it starts to grow on people but i feel like alcohol was definitely like, you know it was definitely a more safe sort of yeah, I think playing new Safe songs to too do. is like is is hard in general. But like we have such a good fan base that they just like go for it no matter what, you know. Like it's just it's it's such a rare thing for us to play a show and there's just like a dead crowd, you know. Sure. Um, even if there's like fifty people in the audience, they're gonna go nuts. Mm-hmm. Or like meaning like they'll they'll like mosh and you know break their arm right. I don't know. Uh, you're still getting the craziest 50 so, people you can yeah yeah it's it's you know we have a rare fan base and, and uh i think like playing new material is like it's actually kind of fun because we get to see their reactions to stuff and they definitely react to that song <laughs> that's so i've so i've been told i'm wondering also just like from uh in terms of like drawing connections here like from from you know sort of the from your first record obviously like cheap beer is one of your one of your sort of instant classics and now on to this one you know how has your relationship how's your relationship with booze changed over the years because i know that was something that like i found when i was moving from like my 20s into my 30s it's sort of like that relationship like it gets it gets different as you get as you get older and i'm just wondering what it's like what it's been like for you guys yeah it actually hurts now when you drink yeah yeah <laughs> takes longer to recover yeah i think we're all kind of similar on that same page where it's like i mean when you're like you know i mean i was 21 Max was 18, Elvis was 19, you know, uh, when we started. And it was very, you know, that's just like what we did. We partied a bunch and you start, you're in a band for a long time and it just, it becomes normal and then you just get sick of it. It's it's up and down, up and down. And the older, I don't know, the older I'm getting, I'm I'm starting to like, be like, okay, I'm I'm not going to drink. Like, I'm not going to get blacked out drunk right now. (laughs) Yeah. 
make, kind making of, the decision, <laughs> making the choice. Yeah. 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 And, and not yeah. as like, you know, as like a, a 21 year old anymore. Like I, I don't feel left out when, when I'm not drunk, you know, any, you know, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I just feel like, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to die tomorrow. I think a, re- a realization I had too, uh, is like, like, you know, about feeling left out. It's cause I, I went through a few, you know, a couple tours, like without drinking a couple of our tours, I, I, I did without drinking. And you, you just realize that, you know, whether you're, you've gotten drunk enough times, you know, I, I, at a certain point you just realize like, okay, you're not really missing anything, you know, like you've done this, you know, what, what it entails and, you know, and it's fun and it can be fun and it can be like, you know, it can be a a good experience, but you know, when you experience all of that sober too, you're kind of like, all right, you know, like there's, it's, it's good to pick and choose when to, when to drink. And especially on tour, it's, it's still hard because you know, you go, you know, I guess it's our choice to have <laughs> alcohol in the dressing room, yeah. but it's like you play, you know, you play a show and there's, it, it, you play a show and there's always booze, you know, there's, right. you can't escape it. So it's I, definitely, I do think it's the only job in the world that's like, okay, here's a bunch of alcohol. Now go do your job. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no other job in the world that does that. Like, I, I don't know any other job. Like, <laughs> Not acting, nothing. Like it's 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 literally like okay, here's a bunch of alcohol. Uh, you have like four hours till you play. Um, yeah. So have fun. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so from a song that is very rooted in in your sort of past and your 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 tradition, if you want to call it that, to uh, the next track, almost free, which feels like a little bit of a of a departure, a little bit. You know, it's a very sort of funky uh, instrumental. curious on on songs like this one and especially you know when it comes to instrumentals like what is it about this track that made you go like oh shit yeah this is actually good as is like we don't need any any words for this one any lyrics like we're just gonna let it stand on its own that was i guess yeah that was ricky that was kind of ricky's um suggestion uh that this was another one that was sort of started as a demo uh, you know, a demo from, from my studio, like same kind of vibe, you know, just sort of like whatever, just riff and riff and beat kind of thing. And we kept, uh, like, we kept playing it in the studio over the speakers, the, the demo. And we kept trying to like, we kept trying to come up with lyrics to it or like come up with a chorus or come up with a hook or something. And we came up, we, we did that for, you know, a few hours and it just kind of, it just didn't really go anywhere. And then we sort of just, just kind of left the track be for a while. And then we never thought that it was going to even be on the album. We were kind of like, maybe, you know, maybe we'll do next something with record. it later. And then kind of, yeah, next record thing. And then last minute, Ricky was kind of like, you know, let's, let's, let's wrap this song up and let's put it on the record and let's get, you know, these horn players to come in and play the horn parts. And, and then he, he, he just had the idea to keep it instrumental, which I would have never, I would have never even thought to do that. So that was, that was pretty cool that he, suggested that and 
and we did it. It was the last thing we did on the record. So we, we put it all together really fast and then it came together. So I think it's also like for, for him too. I remember him saying is like, there's like, there's only a few bands that could be able to pull that off, you know, like that's never put out like an instrumental track or whatever. And like, he was like, I think that Fiddler's one of those few that like, just do whatever you want. You know, that's kind of been our motto from the beginning. And yeah, the more we were trying stuff, the more we we're like, ah, so I don't know. Paid off. Kind of happened. So those, yeah. uh, yeah, absolutely. And those, so those horns, uh, let's talk about them for a minute. They return on the next track, uh, scam likely. And I think to a really like stunning effect. The idea for horns was that was that one of uh, one of Ricky's? Did he, was he or is that, um, that something that you guys were were looking to do before that? Was all I, Elvis. Yeah, I, I, I um, went I went computer programming stuff, and he went horns. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, I guess I'm trying to think what the inspiration for that was. I I guess when I was making when I was making the demos for those songs for almost free and scam, I think I was listening to like the stones exile on main street a lot. And so I just, okay. I just like the, I really like the use of use of horns on, on that record. And so, yeah, I, in the original demos, they were just MIDI horns basically. Mm. So it was like, I had done the MIDI um, for them. And then, yeah, I've just, I've just kind of always, I've always liked horns in, in rock and roll. So something that I've always kind of wanted to try. And, um, and then what happened was like for scam, basically I had these, you know, I had some parts and then Ricky kind of helped like, you know, develop them a little bit more. And then he called some, some guys to come in and play on it. And they were just, you know, super, super great uh, session players that, that kind of, you know, did some improvising too. Cause, cause on, yeah, on scam, there's kind of some, some cool, you know, horn riffing and stuff like that yeah absolutely i think yeah it's those it's such a full sound sort of fills up the uh fills up the headphones i really (laughs) really appreciate that um so we're on to uh yeah we're on to track number eight of uh the record called you twice and this one uh features a collaboration with uh kay flay about and what do you what did she add to the record and to the song i guess me and christine i've been friends for a minute and uh basically like i think 
she hit me up and I was just was going through like a pretty gnarly breakup. And, um, she was like, Hey, let's write a song. And then I was like, ah, <laughs> like I can't write right now. I'm like pretty heartbroken, you know? Sure. Um, and she was like, well, perfect. Let's write a song. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, honestly, we were, she just came over to my studio and we just started writing and nothing was coming out really. And then we just went next door and got drunk and then came back. And then we just, it was like literally like three notes, you know, and then like wrote this tune. Like it was, it was really weird how it happened. Like it just kind of came out. And we didn't know what it was going to be for or anything like that. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like she came over to write a Fiddler song. I thought it was more like we're just hanging out, writing a song for some, for her maybe, or for somebody else. Like who would have, who would have thought, you know what I mean? But the more we like listened to it and showed Ricky it, and Ricky really liked it and thought that we should work on it and getting all the boys on it really brought it to a different light. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or level. So yeah, that's how that happened. And I'm just curious what, um, you know, in in writing a song like that with someone, writing a, a duet, writing a track for for sort of two voices, uh, I just wonder what that, how does that change your approach to songwriting and approach to like what you're bringing to the table when you have a sort of um, a partner to be working with, like a songwriting partner? Yeah, I think it's, I think that's like the cool thing about even this record in general is like, like what we were saying to begin with, it was the most collaborative we've ever been. And not only with each other, the four of us, you know, with like a bunch of other people, it's like kind of realizing like you don't know everything. Mm -hmm. So hearing other people's versions or hearing other people's take on stuff is, what do you call it? Growing? Is that the word? <laughs> it's uh, like, blows your mind you know what i mean sure yeah yeah it's kind of like letting letting go of some control too yeah um, that's, i think that's is a big one part yeah because um I, I yeah for me personally you know i i can be very controlling with with my with sort of my stuff you know my my music i guess mm -hmm. and, or like oh i have a vision for how i want this to be you know and kind of letting other people into that vision and working together and and getting other people's yeah other people's opinions like it it can make something kind of better yeah. you know and yeah. and yeah i think there's a, there's an energy when we when we would bring tracks in and we'd all be working on it you know it's it's nice to be able to bounce shit off of people you know off of you know off of the other people in the band and kind of there's a it's a different um definitely a different energy in the studio that helps things like move faster and kind of it's a little more exciting than if it's just you by yourself in a room, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking as someone who is by himself in a room right now, I can tell you it probably would be way more, way more exciting. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. But there's a, there's, you know, there's a balance, there's a balance to, to both sides, you know? Yeah. It's like there's, yeah. So that, that takes us to, uh, to nuke, which is the ninth track on the new record. Here comes It is the shortest song on the record by by sort of far, also probably the uh, the heaviest. I'm just wondering what what uh, what is what is Nuke all about for you guys? 
<laughs> or maybe, or maybe it's obvious. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, so it's, nuke it's, is about. Uh, <laughs> about <alcohol>. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's about a. Uh, um, okay, you know, like the the term Punisher. Sure. And he's like, oh, he's a Punisher. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's about you. you 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 turn the word nuke into a punisher, so here comes the nuke, uh, you know, mm. a full blown nuke, a cooked uh, cooked out kook. It's just like, it's just about like the dudes after the show or at a party that's just like choose your ear off, or like you know, is trying to show you they're they're all coked out and trying to show you their music on their phone or something. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we call a nuke, you know, and uh, yeah, it's like you could go like sometimes the whole like the backstage is so nuked out. It's like, oh, don't go in there. It's radioactive. <laughs> you know, we start saying that to each other and like, oh, man, it's Chernobyl, like, don't do it. Like it's so it's just it's kind of evolved into I think it, it originated from Australia. Um, some like this band, the Dune Rats, they would call like Punisher's nuke and it just kind of. I don't know. I thought it was really funny. Because <laughs> it's also something you could say in front of people and they have no idea what you're talking about. That's right. right? That's like, right. If, if some dude is like yapping at you and I look at Elvis, I'm like, dude, Duke, uh, like, he would have no idea what I'm talking about. But like Elvis would, you know, better hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. I know. I yeah. Know. Yeah. Then he'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. We got to come um. up with another word. <laughs> All right, so Too Real is the next track uh, here up for our consideration. You know, I know that in in uh, I've read in some past interviews. You know that people have sort of expressed. I don't know if I don't know if surprise is the word, but like uh, you've you've talked about that that you've never been like an apolitical band uh, to begin with. You know that that the, there's always been a sort of undercurrent of like current events and of of sort of your life in the real world. You know, going through your music, but it does feel like on some of these songs that that you are. Uh, maybe exploring a more sort of like explicitly, you know, po- political material a little bit. Do you feel like you have the ability to say things in a song that you wouldn't necessarily get the chance or like want to take the opportunity to say elsewhere about sort of what's going on in America and the world? No. Perfect. All right. Moving I, on. Mean, meaning, meaning like I, I think if anything, if we write something about something, then like I, I'm not afraid to say it in, in the real world. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. I know that song in general has been chastised for for things, but I think that's the whole point of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it definitely seems like that is a uh, uh, something that's deliberate. And I don't mean that in like a in a in a bad way at all, but it definitely does seem like a you know, it seems pretty open with that. And I'm just wondering, I guess, what what made it feel like this was the time to to do that in a in a song, I guess. The world is fucked up right now. I mean, it's been fucked up, but like right now, like everything's pretty fucked yeah. up. <laughs> so that's kind of where... I mean, that was also that. when the... Yeah, that was like when the election was going on too and and things were really, you know... Yeah. People really kind of polarized and uh, a lot of hate going around. Mm-hmm. 
I think I think that I mean it was definitely I think during that time that it came about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other big thing that I that this song made me wonder about and want to get you guys' take on: what is the worst EDM song you've ever heard? <laughs> I wouldn't even be able to tell you. I wouldn't even. Be able to, like, but that's the funny about it is that like it's not like that line is not talking trash about EDM. Like that's not that's not like the point of that line. It, it, it was I actually wrote this song right after working with these like EDM dudes. <laughs> um, and we were talking about, they were telling me like how, you know, uh, when they go to festivals and there's bands and stuff like that, they, they, they feel insecure sometimes. or they're like, artists don't look at them as artists, you know? And I was telling them like, we actually like Fiddlers have gone, Fiddler has gone through that. Like, cause when we were starting, it was like a punk, you know, more punk rock kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And like people just thought of us as like crazy slacker, like whatever, they don't care kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So that's, that was my, my point with that song was like, it's, it's more about like putting value on, on something. I don't know. Maybe I think I'm thinking too much about it. <laughs> well, that's all right. We're, we're just, we're all, we're all trying to figure it out together here. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, cool. So we are in sort of the home stretch here on track by track with Consequence of Sound talking to Zach and Elvis from Fiddler today about the new record Almost Free. We're on to track 11 of 13, uh, which is Kick. I've been asking a, a lot of just you know questions here and sort of trying to like guide things a little bit. I'm just gonna for this one. I was just gonna ask you guys like, what are you? What is this one about for you guys? What what what's the story behind it? What uh, brought it to this record? Uh, well, I think it, it was this one was one that me and Elvis kept sending back and forth to each other. Um, it started off with like a drum beat and. Uh, it sounded really electronic-y and then adding some guitar and stuff like that really filled it out. Uh, but it, I mean, the story kind of evolves from like talking about drugs, like two different versions of it. I, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, cause I know, uh, with Elvis's verse, it sounds like he's talking to somebody that's, on drugs, you know, and then my verse is more like I'm on, like I want to do drugs kind of thing. Like, yeah. So it's like this, like back and forth talking kind of thing. And it was cool how that actually worked because it was not intentional at all. Um, yeah. As far as that, that working as kind of these two characters, because Zach sent me this track and I didn't even realize that it had already had uh, lyrics on it, you know, because he just sent me an instrumental. So I, I added the thing, you know, the, the, the verse, the first verse. And then, and then basically we just placed, you know, Zach's verses in and they totally just worked over each other. I mean, we didn't even know, I didn't even know what the subject matter of the song was either. So it was kind of like, it was kind of bizarre how it, how it worked totally kind of yeah. like 
works in that way. I think it's kind of cool because it's just it it also shows you the like the the track just sounds druggy, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. So yeah. to to me, it was like, oh this sounds druggy we should probably write about drugs (laughs) but it's like subconsciously we didn't know that it's just like it has this like weird vibe to it yeah yeah and then the verse that i put on it was just was was something that i just kind of i think i it came from different stuff that i like you know um you know an experience with a with a friend of mine like seeing him out at a bar and then when he was not doing well and kind of overhearing things in LA, like, you know, at being at a diner or something. And, and so I just kind of had this verse that was in my head that I made up when I was driving, you know, not, not to, not even to like any music or anything. It was just, sometimes that's how things come up, you know, like mm-hmm. they just pop into your head and then you kind of have them for a while. And then, and then once Zach sent me the track, I was like, realized, Oh, this totally works over this. And um, yeah. And then, and then Ricky uh, put it together, kind of like, you know, mess with the arrangement a little bit. And he, you know, he just wanted to keep it exactly as it was, you know. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like, let's not really add much. We added like a guitar solo, which the guitar solo oh, yeah. was pretty rad because he had this crazy reverb rack unit that was used, that Kevin Shields used on my, my um, Loveless. Oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, it's like a reverse. Yeah, it's like a reverse. It wasn't the actual unit, but it was right. the same effect. You know? Yeah. But like it was it was a reverse reverb effect. So we like, how did we do that? We 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 like took the track. They took the, the bounce of the track and then put that in reverse. And then I played yeah. over it. In, in just, reverse. Just how I would, in reverse, thinking like, okay, I want the solo to get really crazy. I want it to be more notes at the end. So you start by playing you know, more notes. And then you kind of like end the solo with less notes Hmm. so that then, so that then you flip the track, you flip the whole track back and then the the guitar solo sounds a little more natural, you know, and it's, but it's in reverse with this crazy reverse reverb. So it it creates this insane effect, but that was fun. Like it's what like Velvet Underground did and stuff like that. When there was not Pro Tools, it was like tape styles you flip the track, you play to the track and then you flip, the track again so then the guitar is reversed i never thought about doing that i, just, I yeah, wanted to engine, use uh, the engineer. plug-in <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it does give it a it gives it kind of like this um a little more natural feeling because you're instead of like you know trying to play something that might sound cool in reverse you're actually playing naturally to a track reversed yeah yeah and, and it sounds deep. it does sound cool sort of in any direction, uh, I think uh, definitely the way uh, the way it wound up on the record, especially. So, Thought Mouth is the uh, the next song uh, in the sort of the home stretch here with the twelfth track on Almost Free. Bunch of trustees living on the beach. I'm gonna just call her up, ask her, hey, what's up? I just wanna let you know that you've been stuck in my head. This one, when I was listening to it, it 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 almost to me felt like it had this um 
quality of sort of feeling like three or four songs had like crashed into each other and like parts of one or the other were like surfacing as the uh as the sort of track played on uh i'm just if what what was the the sort of um thinking behind that the the thinking behind the sort of dynamic of the song and what does that sort of those sort of shifts in in you know in tempo and sort of sonic landscape what does that add i guess to the song i think the well, the name of the song, Thought Mouth, is you just go like thought and then mouth. So you mm-hmm. just think of something and speak it. And that kind of translated to just when writing it was just like whatever came to mind, you know, and whatever kind of vibe, like a, you know, bipolar or something like that kind of song mm-hmm. um, where there's just like different personalities in it. In it. And we've never done that. And I just thought that was really fun to do like a song there's like literally three songs in one uh, I just thought that's you know would be fun to do challenge ourselves to do something like that yeah and I mean I think that it you know it, it certainly um, it turned out really well on on the record if uh, if you ask me nobody really did but I <laughs> I'm sharing it with you anyway um, huh. I mean, the other the other thing about that song uh, is sort of the lyrics deal I think so sort of eloquently with how the sort of how fraught, I guess, like, m- like modern, like technological communication is. Uh, and I guess I'm just wondering, like, what, what are you most, I guess, like frustrated about in terms of like how people like communicate with each other right now? Like if you could change one thing about the Fucking way that- text messages, <laughs> fucking text messages. That's that's what it is. I would yeah. take them out. Just take them away. Done. Just take away text messages. That's it. So yeah. people have to talk to each other. You have to hear yeah. the voice. Like just take away text messages. We'll be good. Yeah, yeah. There's so much loss when you don't. What you know, when it when all communication is through texting and yeah. it, you know, yeah, being on the phone. There's there's so much more nuance and being you know talking to somebody in, in person. Yeah, yeah. You know. And yeah, oh, we were talking recently actually about how when we, when, when, you know, flip phones used to have T9 word, it was kind of like, you could really only like, you couldn't go so far on T9 word, you know, it was kind of like, <laughs> you could say, you could only say like a few, you could say like a few things. Yeah. Totally. And you'd be like, and, and then, you know, you'd, you'd meet up with somebody and talk to them. And, uh, and it's definitely become the way that some people, exclusively communicate which is it's um not very so annoying yeah so annoying yeah so we've reached the grand finale here of the new record almost free uh by your band fiddler thank you once again to uh zach and elvis for joining me here good times are over song on the record i know that you know that sequencing is not always you know it can be 
you know, so, sometimes it's more significant than others. So it's hard to I, I don't want to read too much into where these songs are placed on the record. But I, I do wonder how you feel like this song does act, if at all, as sort of a closing statement for the record. How does it does it, you know, sum up or, or restate, you know, some of the uh concerns you've had both lyrically and musically that have come up over the course of the album it's definitely it's definitely our most different song mm. well i mean there's bass and guitar and drums and vocals and stuff like that but there's three different key changes in it which was challenging to rap you know challenging to do but mm-hmm. um yeah i mean I, I think it's kind of funny like you know, good times are over. It's, it's something that we've heard from people, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, even like what yeah. we were just talking about, even what we were just talking about, it's, some of the lyrics are kind of about, you know, about, you know, talking to somebody and, and communicating, you know, in, in a way that's more intimate and vulnerable and not, you know, kind of hiding behind, hiding behind how you're feeling, which is, you know, it's, it's easy to do that. And it's, I think I definitely do that sometimes, but I think that also, yeah, that the song kind of can't, this song totally came about in the studio. You know, I think Zach had the melody in his head and then brought it in. And we literally like playing. on the way to the studio was like, uh, I was getting frustrated with somebody and was a couple blocks away from the studio and just had like that first like melody line and that first line and then brought it in and we all worked on it together. Yeah. And I think in that way too, it felt like the most, it was, you know, technically the most collaborative song on the record, I'd say, because we, we, we really just kind of wrote it in the studio with, with Ricky Mm. as well. And so in that way, it kind of makes sense to be, to kind of be the closer and, you know, cause it, it just, it felt like that was the one that really, we, we all really had a, um, a part in, I guess. Totally. Well, good times are over. And so is this podcast. Uh, Zach and Elvis from Fiddler. Thank you again so much for uh, joining me here today. This was a total blast. Yeah. Thanks, thanks a lot. for having us. Thanks so much for listening to Track by Track. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review this series, Consequence of Sound, on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Or hey, share it with a friend or on social media. It helps make sure we can keep dishing out our music journalism in audio form. You can also follow Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network on Facebook. And be sure to check out our other music, movie, and television podcasts. Head to consequenceofsound.net to explore all of our series. Consequence Podcast Network.